Hey everybody, thank you for joining my destiny tonight. So, so excited for the guests and family that we have on air with us. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I've been trying to schedule and talk with Matt and Colby Nightwonder from Tennessee. So thankful for you guys joining us. Guys, how are you tonight? Hey, we're good. 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 Awesome. I'm so excited that you have your three boys. We'll be having a discussion about your journey with adoption and um, how you got to where you're at and where you're going in life. Um, Matt and Colby, could you introduce yourself? Introduce yourself, your boys, where you're from, what you do for work, and what you guys like to do. Family. Well, I'm Colby Nicewander. Um, we've got. And this is Matt, but he'll introduce himself. We've got these three awesome little boys full of energy. Um, I'm an X-ray tech, where um, where I work, <laughs> where I, where we work at our medical office that we own here in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. Yeah, so I'm Matt Nice Wonder. Uh, we uh, we farm, we raise cattle, we 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 uh, we live and and uh, on Nice Wonder Farms where we raise USDA certified beef. We're first generation farmers, actually. And then uh, we own Nice Wonder Family Medicine. I've been in the medical field for about 15 years. I've uh, been a nurse practitioner uh, for about eight years. So, uh, and then uh, I'll see if the, the boys will introduce themselves. This is. I'm Jake, and um, I'm 10. And this is Caleb. How was it? I'm Caleb, and we have cows. Cows, okay, yes. What's your name and how old are you? Tell your name now. Tell me. Tell. What's your I'm name? I'm a math finder, and I'm from State Farm. You're five years old? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Three boys. Yeah. And you said 10, 5, and how old is the Caleb? How old are you, Caleb? So you guys are first generation farmers, you in the medical field, you work together, that is super cool. Um, help us explain, um, if Matt could help us uh, see, I love your upbringing story, would you help our followers see where you're coming from, why you got into healthcare and what you into farming as well? Yeah, so uh, me and Kobe, actually, we started dating when we were like uh, 15 years old in high school. And um, I, the way I grew up, I grew up with parents that were they're both drug addicts and alcoholics and a lot of abuse and, and criminal things. And uh, I grew up in, in town, just, you know, kind of in poverty. And uh, when I got 16 years old, I, I trying to find a way out of that. I played a lot of sports and stuff, and I realized that I kind of got work ethic from sports. And uh, me and Kobe were dating, and I said, I need a job. And I really needed a job to take her to a Valentine's dance. But uh, also, I knew if I could, I could get out of, uh, I could get out of the, the living circumstances I was in. So one of my first jobs was actually on a dairy farm uh, in Lawrenceburg. And uh, so I, I never milked cows, never been on a farm. I don't know, you know, what, what that could be to it. But um, I started milking cows for a guy here local and uh, put the money for the Valentine's dance and, and realized that, getting a job and saving some money would get me maybe out of the house that I was in. So um, that kind of carried through and, and we kind of joked at the time, we're going to get a farm one day. And of course all my friends are from the inner city and, and that kind of thing. And nobody is just crazy thought, but fast forward, went to school a couple of times. Kobe went to school. 
I graduated as a nurse practitioner and, and we started looking for a farm and, and we found this in 2014 and uh, we, we bought, bought the farm and I walked outside the first day we moved here on 4th of July. I walked outside on the 5th of July and looked around, no fences, just open land. And I thought, well, now what do you do? I had no family, no, no real friends to ask. So I became, a, we really, both of us became YouTube farmers. Uh, so we learned everything. We learned everything on YouTube. So we learned how to farm on YouTube too. So um, through through a lot of trial and error, we kind of fell into cattle, and uh, and then we a lot of failures and successes. We we found beef, selling beef, retail beef. And we sell in two two retail stores now. We sell from our farm, and uh, that's that's our main source of income here on the farm. So number one, what was the greatest struggle in starting your own farm? And number two, what has been the greatest lesson that you've learned? I would say uh, having the resources and money to get started. If we could have started this when we were 19, 20 years old um, by getting loans or different things for beginning farmers, then that would have been something we could have started a long time ago. But that's something we learned pretty early on that that's not available in the aspect we think it would have been available. So I would say just the, the money part, getting to a point in our lives where we could afford to start farming. And, and really like a struggle, but also success. The hard part was like the information, knowing like, you know, I didn't know how to drive a tractor and I bought a tractor and the guy delivered it. And I was, I was hoping he wouldn't ask me to back it off the trailer because I had no idea how to drive the thing. So he kind of looked at me and I kind of looked at him and he backed off the tractor, the trailer. And he said, you want to drive it? And I said, no, you just leave it right there. That's okay. And so that, that like just simple little things that you don't think about, not to mention like, you know, pulling calves and castration and, and vaccine protocols and stuff like that. But that led us to probably, I think our big, biggest success was, which was networking and making connections and building relationships with people and, and getting new friends. And, and that just honestly of like, we don't know what we're doing here. You know, we have no idea. It, it made so many like real relationships and real friendships with people that probably would have never connected with us otherwise. So that, that ultimate kind of failure turned into a huge success for us. That's awesome. And so my profession is I am the branch director of a home health and home care company. I, I'm asking this kind of selfishly, but what got you into healthcare and, and uh, about your experience as a home, as a home doctor with the Amish? I, I would love to hear about that. So, uh, uh, about two, well, we farm, so we have the largest Amish community, old order Amish community in the world right here in Lawrenceburg. We got like probably 450 to 500 Amish families. Um, so we, we've been farming with them a little bit, buying and selling cattle. And we opened our medical practice here in, in October of 2018. And I said, uh, I had a midwife in town call me that delivers babies for the Amish. And she said, would you do some house, a house call for an Amish? Well, I guess I guess I can. I've never done it. So I did one house call. Well, she said, just be ready because they they uh they have the Amish internet, which is word of mouth, and it spreads <laughs> anything else. So the word just kind of got around, and and uh, I started taking care of the Amish, and and um and now I do house calls. I did I did three house calls today before yeah. right before I got home to do this yeah. this interview actually, and I do them this morning. I pretty much every day, you know, admit them to the hospital or whatever they need, but. It's really neat because they they have no electricity, no phones, no vehicles. It's it's lanterns and horse and buggy, and um, as simple as you can possibly imagine. Uh, and we really we're we're part of their family. I mean, they, they my kids come over and he helped to pick pumpkins last week, you know, and they they come visit us and and just to say hey. And um, but it's an incredible re rewarding 
thing that we do and, and our staff loves it and um, the community loves it and it's a it's a group of people that needed health care but they don't they didn't trust a lot of people because people to take advantage of them and uh we love them and we farm they we understand that we know where they're coming from because they farm too so uh that's uh that's kind of where we're at so they, they can't call me they have to get their neighbors to call so that's kind of how they get a hold of me but or come to the office so we're probably the only medical office with a with a parking spot for an Amish buggy in it so <clears throat> That's super cool. So I actually served my mission for for my church in um, close to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So as soon as I heard you talk about, them, I really wanted to hear your stories because I served and met a lot of them as well. You mentioned that you're a you're a very close and technically family with um, a lot of the Amish families. How have they incorporated in you into their culture? Um, you know, really, just for instance, like this morning um, when I go do their house calls. Uh, they they'll feed me. They a lot of times give me a biscuit or a cookie or something to eat if they've got food there, you know. So it's really you know at first it was awkward because I, I wanted to be very respectful. That was really the main reason. Um, I wanted to make sure I didn't like make sure they knew that I wasn't trying to like change their culture or influence their kids in any way to get out or anything like that. I was very very respectful. But now I feel like walk in and sit down and, and we're hanging out, you know, and. Uh, welcoming they're they're fantastic people and uh i really feel like every time and, and kobe can speak to this too but like when I'm, we're just like you know it's like there are brothers really it's, it's a pretty pretty cool thing which i don't i don't know really when that happened that transition happened but it's just a, it's just a trust thing you know and they they trust me i trust them we help each other out and uh and it's a mutual relationship so that's awesome i love that um Let's kind of transition to the adoption section of our interview, and you guys can speak as long as you want. I want to hear, well, not only me, but our followers want to hear the details of your story, how you got to where you're at, and what circumstances um, encourage you to look into fostering to adopt. What was, what was the question? How about what, what led us into fostering? Oh, I hate that. It kind of um, So to start all the way at the beginning, now we're 24 we've been married a little over five years we decided to start a family so i got pregnant and everything was going fine until it wasn't and so i didn't know that i had a blood clotting disorder um so i made it about six months pregnant and then we lost a baby girl and um right after maybe a month after that was memorial day and um we were having a big family get together and i have one aunt that I knew of that had also lost a child. And so she had been someone I'd been reaching out to for comfort, knowing she'd gone through the same thing. So she took my hands because I actually I said, I just want a baby. Like we went through school, we've done this, like we're ready for a child. And she took my hands and she said, well, you remember these boys I fostered and named their names. And she said, the mom's pregnant again. And we just found out she's having a boy. And so I instantly got like, oh my goodness, you know, talk to Matt about it. And he's like, well, I feel bad. Let me just, let's just wait and see. Maybe another family that can't have kids would get involved. Anyway, so we've battled that long enough until I talked him into babysitting him when he was three weeks old. And like Matt said, he is with us at 10 years old today. So um, basically the connection with my aunt, Matt and I had always uh, interacted with all her hundreds of foster kids. Uh, it was just something since we got together and she started fostering, 
that, that was something that we were really interested. We don't know why, but well, now we know why, but we were drawn to her foster children. So I guess if I answered the question there, yeah. um, unfortunate circumstances. So I say uh, we made lemonade out of lemons. I love that. Um, do you have anything else to add, Matt? <clears throat> yeah, that, you know, that's a, and I think, you know, the biggest thing to me was when we had, we went through that process and, and uh, you know, the, the miscarriage and Kobe's health problems and the blood clotting disorder, it was kind of a, it was, it was dangerous for Kobe. It was, and obviously the baby didn't live. So I wasn't willing to take the risk, you know, cause I'm working at a nurse and at the hospital working in the emergency room and, and medical floor and, and, uh, and going back to school and, and all this. And so I, I knew the danger that was associated with that. So I wasn't, had a lot of discussions about it and, I, and we didn't know if we want to take a risk of, of doing this, doing the whole process again. And, her, and Kobe's life was at risk and another baby too. So, and the whole emotional aspect of it. But on the other hand, and, and this sounds really bad, but it's just honest is I didn't want to take care of somebody else's problems, you know, and I felt like so, be, be responsible, be accountable. And I just, I, I mean, that's really selfish, but that's just the way it was. I wanted, you know, I just didn't want to do that. And, uh, and, I, and I think a lot of foster parents or a lot of adopted parents feel that way and sometimes afraid to say that because it, it sounds really harsh. But, but as, as soon as, you know, as soon as Jake showed up, I said he, he showed up that morning and uh, I literally told him, I was like, if, if they come back, that we're, we're running away. <laughs> He's our kid and that's the end of it. And so uh, that's all it took, you know, and, and I, it changed my life, obviously, for the better and uh, changed my mind and. And the way I felt about the whole thing. So um, now it's an incredible thing. I mean, we get a lot more out of it than than any than they ever will. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's just a, it's a blessing to us and to not just adopt but foster and and, uh, and share the story with people. You know, because people are scared of it. It is a scary thing. You know, and we were every time we got a foster kid, it was just uncertainty. How do you know? How do I respond? How do I act? How do I treat them? What do I say? I don't want to do the wrong thing. You know that that kind of. Um, it's been a it's been a pretty incredible ride that we're we're not done we're not done that's for sure so awesome and we'll get there in a sec I just want to to rewind a little bit so when Matt told me the story he said that your aunt Colby is the mastermind behind the babysitting but the way you said it made you sound like you're the mastermind behind the, the hoax. <laughs> I might have been in on it just a little bit. <laughs> I was trying to be nice. I didn't want to. I didn't want to put blame on her, but yeah, it's the team effort. Uh, I think so. It was God, and we were just trying to do what His plan was. We were just helping out. <laughs> just had to open that side, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they did, but uh, you know, I, I actually uh, uh, we we were fostering, and we had adopted kids, and I was working at a medical office just a few minutes from here, and she called me one day and said. Hey, there's a little girl that needs a uh, needs somewhere to stay, and or no, it was a little boy that needs somewhere to stay, and it was Luke's brother. And I said, uh, which was Caleb. And I said, uh, I said we no. cannot. Is that not who it was? Oh no, no, I'm I, you. And I said, no. And I said I can't be another kid. You cannot do this right now. And she, she was like, okay. And I was busy. I was sick. I had a bunch of patients waiting on me. So I said, no, no, we can't do. It. We already talked about it. We can't do it. So I, I get home five thirty or whatever, roll the door. I go around the corner from out in the garage, and I'm like. Where did this kid come from? <laughs> and so, anyway, he, he's ours now. He's that's Caleb. So, you know. So. I think I prayed about it, Matt, and like, we're. Oh, uh, yeah. I was listening to God instead of my husband. <laughs> yeah. So Sometimes that's Caleb. important. I love that. I brought him home without permission. Yeah. yeah. And he never left. 
Yeah, yeah, that's all of them. That's all of them. They're easier to potty train than dogs, though, so I can't really complain much, I guess. <laughs> um, to go back one, one step further, uh, to kind of focus on a more serious note for a sec, you guys lost a baby. Um, the grief must have been or felt unbearable. A lot of parents who are doing adoption go through grief in one way or the other, whether it's through a miscarriage or losing a child or um, or infertility or other circumstances that are not allowing them to get pregnant. Can you share what got you through? Um, you mentioned your aunt was a was comforting to you, but what else got you through that hard time? Um, obviously, I would say my, my faith, uh, knowing that there was a bigger plan. I made it to the end of it now. I survived all the heartache and the roller coaster of emotion, even with fostering nine different children not really understanding when we didn't get to adopt every one of them in the heat of it all it was it was devastating really to have to say goodbye to, to all the kids and most of them were two years old that seemed to be the our magic age we kept getting two-year-olds which was fine but <laughs> but i just feel like that it would be matt and i sticking together i think that that could that could tear our marriage apart but us being supportive of each other honestly some tough love for matt because there were days i didn't want to get out of bed and he pretty much was like you got to get out of bed and and it was in a loving way um but i think it was just knowing like we already um well, we didn't have Jake at that point. We we had a few, I had a few more miscarriages actually too. So I'm kind of missing up my story and timeline here. But I would say definitely like knowing that there was a, a bigger plan that um, that God had He was going to take care of us. And so I would say that, and then just sticking together, yeah. supporting each other. Yeah, yeah. There's a and too like I I got I was working at the hospital at the time, and when all this happened, and and I went when it first happened, I. I had, I've had a lot of crazy things. My mom overdosed. Uh, they're both drug addicts and alcoholics, and they're arrested all the time, and, and just a crazy upbringing. But, so I had a lot of stress, and I, I was used to dealing with that kind of thing. And the way I did was I would always just get myself kind of just in, uh, wrapped up in something else to kind of distract me for a little while and, and kind of cope with it, I guess, that way, whether that's healthy or not. But so working at the hospital, what I ended up doing is I just – you're only supposed to work so many shifts in a row in 12-hour shifts. I ended up working 13, 12 hours in a row, which is against the rules. But I worked in different departments, so they couldn't they couldn't keep up with it. They didn't know how many, but it was my way just to, I would wear myself out, go home, go to sleep, wake up at 5.30, go back to work 12 hours, do it all over again. And uh, and so on the, on the like the 13th or 14th day, I went to work, and they I was working in the skilled nursing unit at the time, just because that was the only other place that would let me work. And uh, they said, how many days have you been here? I said, 13. They said, you need to go home. So I left. They sent me home. And like on the drive home, I had like a meltdown because it just, it just hit me. I got to face this. You know, I got to deal with it now. And, uh, my, and it was, it was tough. I mean, but that's kind of was my coping mechanism for a little bit. I felt bad because Kobe wasn't home. She was by herself at the time. And, and I was having to go to work because we still had bills to pay, but uh, and I knew the medical bills were going to come in and all this other stuff. But, um, so anyway, it came home and we kind of just at that point, 13 days later, we kind of sat down and said, we got to, we got to get through this. And, and like you said, it was some moments where, you know, pick yourself up and let's go, you know, and that, that was kind of the way we, we worked through it. Um, which like I said, I don't know whether that's healthy or not, but that was the way I, I got through it. And it did help. Um, at the time, maybe I thought, but, uh, 
we came back together and, and since then we've been you know just look at each other and say how are you really feeling you know that kind of thing and just be honest about it and that, that's kind of what got us through it that's cool so i assume that that time period in your in your life kind of solidified your marriage is that a good assumption yeah yeah we had uh we had been through some tough stuff already just because my uh just dealing with my parents and everything else so we we knew about we've been through some rough stuff anyway we dated since we we're 15 so um yeah but it definitely was like, like the like definitely locked a lot of things in and, and helped we we grew up together we got married we were 19 so went through college and all those crazy college years and and uh and putting each other through school and all the stuff you do and so uh that was a big moment though i mean that was like that was a, a milestone for sure that's awesome so we'll move forward to talk about your foster experience. I know that you um, adopted your first pretty quick. You he um, after the babysitting hope, he never left. What what encouraged you to keep fostering? So I guess that would be where I was messing up the timeline earlier. But we kind of put all of our we just tried everything. So like I was trying, we were trying to have a baby. We were doing the foster care. We were just. It was just kind of like, let's just see what works out. It, and Jake was four years old, and it was time to, you know, expand our family, give him one. So that's, I guess, really just knowing it was time for him to get some siblings. Maybe mm -hmm. stop. Yeah, and then her aunt, too, was kind of encouraged us to do the foster parent and stuff. And, and uh, of course, um, okay. we had to go to the classes and do the training kind of stuff. And uh, and I guess just it almost happened like naturally, really. I mean, it felt like it just was fluid. Um, we she had been around. We've been around foster kids. We when we were dating. We I would go to her aunt's house, and foster kids would be there, and we'd play with them, and take them places, and go to birthday parties with them. So it was just kind of part of our, our extended family. But we were so used to it, it just felt like a natural thing to do. So that's awesome. And so you said. Um, <clears throat> trying to trying to word this question with with your hesitations at, at the beginning of, of getting your first child did those hesitations get addressed or did they just kind of go away or, or how did you like feel jumping into foster care um, yeah it was a little it, i mean for for me the the hesitation of of taking care of another like and, and being fully responsible in the babysitting situation you know that was gone once once jake showed up and but then fostering was more like okay, i've got a kid that i'm responsible for his his future you know and anything that happens now young and ends and changes those things you know i'm we're responsible for that so we're bringing a kid in that we don't know you know that kid that, that in that crazy atmosphere that was good on you know good in public but there was crazy stuff happening at home so i worried like are those kids and are they going to handle it like I handled it when I was a kid? Or are they going to be have a lot of a lot of struggles? Not only we can help them through, but I don't know what my my kid has going to be influenced, you know, and that responsibility to my own, you know, my own kids. So that was probably the biggest. But kids with you know having issues and and having struggles and having uh, being exposed to things that, that young kids should never be exposed to that was not a problem because i'd seen all that and i knew exactly what that would look like um and kobe had watched me go through it so for her i feel like she was prepared just by just by um being present while i was you know that was going on so there was really no hesitation I don't think. 
I can, I can probably guarantee that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for people um, stuck on the fence with foster care? Um, how you handled? I know you said you've fostered nine or ten children. What's your limit? What are your experiences? I know that there are specific um, demographics you when doing foster care. Have you always been with your children, or what is your foster experience like? So. I mean, I, I definitely tested my limits on multiple occasions. Like Matt, at one point for one of the holidays, said he was going to call and get me a foster kid because that seemed to be what I collected. So, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's hard to say no, but you do have to like take a step back and make sure your mental health, like that's very important. Make sure you're not being too overwhelmed that it's affecting everyone around you. Um, that, that was multi-part question, so if you don't mind repeating something well, for me. To, I, I do want to say, she, okay. she, in all fairness, she did bring two kids home. One that I actually, both of them that I said no to. So, <laughs> in all fairness, it was, she was, seemed like that was what she was collecting. So, you know, some people collect like little precious and some people get jewelry when they're getting foster kids. So, uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's kind of what that went through. But I would say for people that are getting into it, like the hesitation or, or, any anxiety that might be tied to like just uncertainty, you know, there's going to be some of that. You don't know. I mean, you, when it comes right down to it, you have no idea what you're getting with these kids. But, um, you know, I think like a big, just looking back through it, um, a big thing that helped me out, we had a kid, um, it was a little boy, I think he was nine and his sister. Um, and I think she was like two, two years old and, uh, just like trauma living in poverty, no food. I mean, it was horrible situation and they came here with no clothes. They were covered in lice. Um, in the middle of the night, all this. Uh, but that little boy, his dad would call him. His, his mom and dad had drug problems, and and among other things. But um, his dad would call him, well, almost every night, and talk to him for ten to twenty minutes. And and I talked to the dad. He was a nice guy. We we had a good relationship there. But the little boy one night was sitting on the couch after talking to his dad, and uh, he cried. He was crying, you know. And he said, "I just want to go home." And I realized, kind of right then, um, I mean, that was tough. It was a tough conversation. Like, what do you say to that kid? You know, you know, it's not safe for him to go back, and and his parent loves him, but not. He's not. His parent wasn't ready to, to love him and really be responsible for a kid yet. And I and I said, you know, we, that's what we want. We want the same thing. We want you to go back to your to your to your home. You know where you come from. This is not a permanent thing. And uh, so just be ready to have those conversations. Like you can't ever be fully prepared for it, but. You know, just you, all you got to do is love him. And the kid knew he loved him. He woke up every day. He was happy to be here. He had a warm bed. He had a safe place. He had other kids to play with. Uh, he had no idea what to do with because uh, he grew up in the city. But <laughs> but but uh, just love him. You know, I walk in the door every time uh, when a new kid was here, whether they were <laughs> I knew about it or not. Uh, when, I, when I walked in the door from work, I come in at 530 and the kid, would be, he, my, all my kids run up after when I get home from work. Still to this day, they hug him, kiss him. And you know, there'd be a little boy standing there and I just bend down the same thing. Hey, what's your name? Here's my name. You know, I'll give a little kiss on the head and then we just go in there and play like I do with the rest of them. And it's just like, they're looking like this is just too normal. You know, they kind of look at you funny. Like he's treating me like the rest of them. What is going on here? So that's, that's the best piece of advice I can give you. That makes me so happy. Um, how did you know that these three were, were yours versus the other ones that were just to foster? And you, you mentioned that you're into fostering um, in the future. Is adoption still on the table? 
Right. So I feel like that um, even the well, our very first little girl, we loved. We didn't long, but we were told we were going to get to adopt her. I think Matt's mentioned a little bit of that to you. Um, but then we were the like official pre-adoptive parents for a little two-year-old boy. And I tried and I prayed and I cried like I wanted to fall in love with this kid so bad. And I feel like that as much as I him, that I was never getting that peace that he was going to be ours. And so I just feel like that God protected us so much in that way. Like as much as we love the kids and every one of them, and they would have never known any different. But I still feel like that I just like, and, and I don't know if that was something that Matt felt too, or if that was kind of my experience with it but i feel like that that's just how it was with all of them first time even holding jake the first time like something felt right i even told matt i said as sure as i was to marry you i'm supposed to be this baby's mom and then i felt like that with with luke holding luke i was like it's just something i cried and prayed over him in the hospital when i held him for the first time and there was just something constantly i was getting these signs that something as small as his fingers are shaped like Matt's. And like when God was creating him, he knew that baby was going to be ours. And it was just little signs that I just kept getting peace throughout the journey. And then same with Caleb. I mean, there was things from just numbers. I mean, I could go on all day talking about the numbers and the, the names that they were born and what it means. And it's amazing how, um, that, how it all worked out. Mom, I love that. What about you, Matt? Do you have any anything to add? Yeah, the uh, you know it, it kind of the same thing. Of course, like I said, I got kind of talked into it at first, but uh, which was good. I don't know how we did, but but uh, it was. I mean, she's right. Like there there were kids that came through the very first foster little girl we had. Decided and they told us we went through DCS. Um, we had good caseworkers, but the system is the way the system is. And this this little girl shows up and they said, oh. She She's going to be adopted. You're, you guys, if you want her, that's, it's going to be fine. So, okay, great. Of course, we already had Jake at this point. So, um, a little girl shows up, and we're thinking, all right, this is going to be it. So, we're getting settled in, you know, and, and uh, we take her take her to Walmart and shopping and get her clothes and shoes and get everything situated. You know, she's going to stay here. And a few weeks go by, and they call us and say, oh, just kidding. She's going back to somebody that's no And so, we're like, like, what and so we're like bought and sold and attached to this little girl in an hour you know and then uh we got her for three or four weeks and or however long we had her and they tell us never mind it's just a joke and uh it was that was pretty detrimental so the next guy we decided right then like are we gonna do this because this is what this might happen again and we decided right then yes we got to do it it's, it's it's too much of a, a positive impact on on our on our community to not do this but we've got to put our guard up a little bit so we did get a little bit protective but we were more aware of, you know, that I don't know so much that we had a connection with a little girl as it was like an automatic thing. Like, this is your kid. You can adopt her. And that's what we wanted to do. You know, so they told us what we wanted to hear almost. Not that they meant to do that. But so the next time we were like, you know what, this might not be it. So we were more aware of is there actually a connection or is there not? And, uh, and it did. Like what she's saying, there was times where like, we love this little kid, but it just ain't. It just ain't right. Yeah, it's not ours. It's not ours. So, um, we just have to trust in it, and it's and she's ready. It worked out, you know. Thank God. Love that. So you mentioned that um, foster care is in your future. You're looking to grow your family as far as adoption as well. Oh, please. You know I don't like it. Uh, 
you know, if, if you, we went into it kind of with that mindset, I guess, and, and maybe that's wrong. Uh, but we knew that we, that it was out there. It just felt right. We talked about it and prayed about it and spent a lot of time, you know, just contemplating, are we going to do this? And, uh, so that was, that was something that, oh, I'm not saying that was our goal, but that was something that we wanted to do though. Definitely. And we knew that was our, our only option, you know, let's help some kids out. Let's, 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 uh, maybe when they leave here, if they're here for a day or a, a year, they leave these, you know, that we can still fill in them. And, uh, and if not, and there's some kids that hang around a long time, we'll adopt those. So, um, and, uh, you know, it, it is a way to do that, but I would not go into it thinking every kid comes to this door. We're going to, we're going to get two kids, two foster kids. We're going to adopt them both. And then we're going to be done. That that's, you're not going to be a good foster parent. Um, you, that's just reality. You, you got to go into it thinking, you know, this kid might stay here for one day. What, what can I teach them that's going to stick? You know, what, what can I show them about being a good, honest, accountable, intentional, you know, human being? And, uh, and that's what we tried to do. And then if they hung around, they ended up getting our last name. So. <laughs> Love that. Um, as we come to close, I want to ask each of you individually, we'll start with Matt and end with Colby, um, to give any last thoughts on your guys' story and to end with some advice for those hoping to foster or adopt. Um, just some words of encouragement and things that you, maybe you wish you would have known or done better. Um, and then we'll, so we'll start with that and then we'll go with Kobe and then I'll close. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess in the beginning, I guess I wish I would have been a little more open, um, about the whole situation. And, and a lot of it just comes from, you know, putting barriers up around your emotions because we had been through so much trauma, you know, I just wore out and I, and I guess looking back, I realized, you know, that that was almost like a um, therapeutic thing if I would have really been more open to it of having a having a, a kid that just they don't want nothing. You know, they don't they don't need anything. They just want you to be present. You know, and I wish that I wish I would have known that in the beginning uh, a little bit more because we stressed yeah. about like I got to do the right thing, say the right thing, act the right way. You know, everything's got to be just right because this kid, I, he's, I'm going to be a failure <laughs> to him, you know, if I do something wrong, because that's all he's seen is failure. And I, and I knew, like, some kind of deep-seated, and maybe I need to go therapy myself for this, but some kind of, like, deep-seated thing from my childhood, watching my mom get beat up every day and watching my parents do drugs and, and seeing them overdose over and over and, and picking them up from jail, you know, there's some kind of... I don't know, a deep scar there somewhere that I guess I was afraid. And, it, and, and I, I guess as I went through it, I looked back and thought, you know what, all I, all I wanted was somebody just to be there. And so that's, that's, uh, I eventually that real realism, but, um, <laughs> glad that we did it. And, uh, and you know, if you go in with, with expectations of just being, just being a good person, you know, and just trying to be compassionate and, uh, you know, we got so much divisiveness and, and disharmony in society right now you know what better way to help somebody uh especially a little kid you know it's just pure and honest and and uh it's it's been fantastic for us i mean i'd recommend anybody do it if you've got time and um it's worth every every minute you'll spend whether it's speech therapy or or uh taking the doctor's appointments or taking the meetings with their parents at the jail like we had to do a lot you know that kind of stuff is stressful <laughs> but but it's worth every second Awesome. I would just add, oh, I'm sorry, I would just add to, um, if you're fostering, remember to love those parents. I think that that's something 
seeing if even if they have um, a drug problem or they're having something something going on you gotta you gotta understand take a step back and and it may have been the way that they were, should be accountable and the kids don't deserve this but i think just showing them love and treating them like a human being goes a really long ways because we have been so fortunate with all of our all three of ours that we didn't have a parent fight us the parents every one of them signed their rights there was not I mean, with very little hesitation, other than I'm sure, you know, because they are human, that there was some heartbreak. But I just think just treating them, treating them how they should be treated and how I wanted to be treated, that was something that, that really does go a long ways. But if you go in some kind of meeting and act like you're better than, than them, or I mean, that's going to definitely cause them, I think it's going to be a little bit harder on you as a foster parent. So I would just say to always remember to, treat everyone kind yeah so. great well thank you so much i really i can't explain how grateful i am for you guys uh, joining our show i look forward to being friends um in the future seeing you guys on social media hopefully talking and catching up every once in a while you've got an amazing and adorable family i can't wait to see uh what you guys do as far as helping out foster kids in the community um you guys are phenomenal i'm absolutely in love with your story I, I don't know if I told you guys this, but one of my very close cousins, her and her family own a big farm, and she randomly just sent me um, Matt's Instagram handle and said, please, please, please try to interview him. He's like my hero. So um, I have one of the cutest families I've ever seen. I hope, hopefully someday I can meet you guys when COVID clears up and you guys are doing your, your uh, speaking obligations, but... Thank you so much. Yeah. For those of you watching, I'm really grateful for your support and love for Destiny Adoption Foundation. Uh, as always, if you, have, if you have the ability, please donate to help families afford adoption. And until next time, have a great week.